Hello and welcome to another episode of Podcastles with me, Georgia, and my sister, Nikita. Hey everyone. And how are you, Georgia? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Missing you. Absolutely. Missing you a lot and been missing doing Podcastles, of course. We are heading on to our selection box for Dorset, which means Mm -hmm. we look at a couple of different castles, some of the smaller ones, we put them all together and we round them up in a final episode for Dorset before we move on to the theme topic. Yep, it's going to be good. We've got three this week, Georgia. It's not even just a couple. Ooh. I know. What, What three have we got? We've got Maiden Castle, Sherborne Castle and Lulworth Castle. Interesting. I know very little about any of those. In fact, I don't actually think I've heard of any of them before. So looking forward to this a lot. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Should we just dive right in? Let's dive straight in um, with Maiden Castle, I believe. Yeah, let's start with Maiden Castle. So it's actually not a castle like we've been studying before. Oh. No, so this is completely different for us and also completely new for me history-wise because this is actually an Iron Age fort. Wow, that is really old. Yeah. (laughs) Hit the nail on the head there, Georgia. So the Iron Age, 800 BC to 43 AD, yeah? Yeah. Pretty old. Yeah, so 43 AD is when the Romans invaded. We've never even gone back as far as the Romans before. No. In fact, I haven't really gone far back beyond the Romans in any subjects I've studied for history. So No, no, me neither, to be fair. Well, a lot of this... So there's actually, Georgia, so this the Iron Age fort here Mm. was built uh, in the first century BC. Okay. And it's amazing. But before we really get into it, we're actually going to have to go back even further because there was actually something on this site during the Neolithic period, which was between 4000 BC and 2500. And so this was actually... They think this one was around 3500 BC. Oh my goodness. So that's like Neolithic. A good example of um, famous things from that period is Stonehenge. Yeah. Famously very old and very weird. (laughs) I mean, it's not weird for the people who built it. No, as in like, we don't know why they did it. We don't know how they did it. No, no, which is really interesting. I like Stonehenge. Very interesting, but not the focus of this episode. No, but maybe we should do something on that at some point. Sometime, yeah. So, so this is a really old site mm. and it's huge as well. Over time, it, it gets bigger and bigger. Like it starts much smaller as a Neolithic settlement and, and grows. But the site that's there now is the size of 50 football pitches. Wow. I know very little about football, but I know the pitches are pretty big. Yeah, absolutely huge. So, I mean, this is a pretty impressive hill and this was a settlement back in the neolithic period right so not a single person living there it's like a whole no no it's not one person to 50 football pitches um it's it's a whole community to be fair there was probably a few enough people in the country back then to have 50 football pitches each probably probably but (laughs) it's uh, a bit lonely though very socially distanced very socially distanced they were doing a good job (laughs) doing a good job however they didn't have facetime No, that is unfortunate for them. So they had to be a little bit closer. Yeah, a little bit closer. So we'll start with the Neolithic site. Okay. This is really interesting because I've never looked at Neolithic, which is kind of prehistory. So this is all on uh, archaeological finds. Mm. And I found some really interesting articles about it, actually. So the Neolithic site had, had been a woodland area before and it got cleared. Okay. And on the east side, they built a causeway enclosure. 
a cause wade enclosure even it's uh, an early neolithic european earthwork so that's the the hill thing <laughs> and uh with one or more like circular ditches with little gaps in them oh right presumably so you didn't have to climb down the ditch and up it and this is like the i guess the barrier of the of the settlement area right i mean that in itself is quite an impressive feat when mm. you don't have the tools and the sort of machinery that we have nowadays like to be able to create something like that is very impressive in itself you think that's impressive it's not a, just a straight uphill and then a flat top it's like steps but big ones I, that's a terrible way of explaining it but if you if you if you look it up it's like a it's been dug no i know what you mean so anyway the archaeology has found that this area that was built for the Neolithic period would have been used as like a as a quote unquote symbolic space, um, and so people would come together there and do um, specific tasks. Right. So the example that I saw when I was reading about it was uh, flint axe production. So people would come and sit in this space and do it together. Ah, remember when we used to do things physically together? <laughs> yeah, literally together. Yeah, I miss that. So this then gradually evolved right into uh this space evolved and there was like a long mound with a ditch on either side was built which you can only really just see now if you go there apparently this is when it kind of stopped being a symbolic just a symbolic space and this the the length of this mound is 550 meters wow yeah it's really long that's insane yeah give or take you know can't it's not like they had a a measuring tape. So this is this is like a man-made hill, basically. Yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? So once we're into the Iron Age, a new fort was built on top of it. Okay. And where the literally where the enclosure had been before. So where they had the, the, the enclosed causeway, they built their fort. Sorry, they built their fort there. So uh, this was... And this one was enclosed by like a giant single rampart. Yeah. So like a defence. And then that then doubled in size. And then they had extra ramparts. Why not? You can never have too many. One's not really enough. And then they raised that inner rampart up higher. Do you want to say rampart one more time? <laughs> rampart. <laughs> What's funny about a rampart? I just, there's just lots of them. There's lots of ramparts. Anyway, so originally this would have been like a really small community that just lived there together. Mm. But over time, it became actually one of the most important settlements in Dorset. Wow, okay. It's important for its for its age. There are archaeological signs for things like stores, uh, roundhouses that were there for people to live in, had central hearths, they had grain pits, they had actually drainage gullies. Wow. Around them. Yeah, so there's signs of metalwork and textile production. Like, this is a big deal. So during this period, so the Iron Age, the archaeologists have found that it became less of a random layout of a hill fort and then it became more organised. So the houses started to be built in, built in rows and you'd have like traffic could go along and the reorganisation from what I was reading, apparently that's, obviously that suggests that there's some kind of order within the system and in the, right. the life within this fort. Someone's running it. Yeah, and then, but apparently later in the Iron Age, the system broke down. They killed and him. So it, <laughs> and, and so it sort of evolved back to being the 
east end of the hill fort where the original Neolithic area had been. And so uh, th- this is when you start getting more continental trade and metalwork was becoming very important. So... Wow. Yeah, so this is kind of the history that we've kind of got there. And then in the 30s, in the 1930s, so this is... Not that I'm jumping this far. <laughs> this is this is then they found a cemetery there. Okay. Excavation work in the 1900s. Yeah. Yeah, so there was... Uh, one of the 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 archaeologists suggested it was a war cemetery because of the Roman attack when the Romans invaded Britain, and they were suggesting that maybe there was an attack on the hill fort uh, because Maiden Castle would have been occupied at that sort of time. But this actually probably isn't the case. Okay. So later later studies showed that uh, I, I think when it was first uncovered, they were like, "Oh, all these people died really violently," whereas actually. In the grand scheme of things, when people have done more research into it, not that many people died violently in it. And people are buried with pottery, meat, jewellery, just some of the things that sort of came up. And because of that, people think that they were actually proper burials. Like people had time to bury mm. them, whereas post-battle it would have been yeah, pretty quick. Interesting. So the fort then stops being used, however, just after the Romans arrive. Later on, there's a temple on that, that land. And... They think that this was a new pagan religion. During this time, there was a lot of combining of sort of Roman religions with the British religion that was here. And of course, that's that's quite a, a Roman thing, isn't it, to sort of take on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did that a lot, didn't they? That's really all we've got so far for the the hill fort, Georgia, for, okay. for Maiden Castle. However, we do have a literal skeleton for later on. Ooh. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of them if they found a cemetery. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm only going to tell you about one. Interesting. So this this castle, in air quotes, isn't really a castle, but we included it because it's just fascinating. And it's called a castle, so yeah. we'll allow it. Yeah, it was on the... Uh, That's really cool. research. It came up, so I thought, why not? It's just a bit different as well. It's It's... Interesting. But are we saying that there was never actually a castle on the side? Not not like a medieval style, what we'd think of a castly castle. Well, let's move on to a castly castle, shall we? We can move on to it. It's safer ground. For the people that are missing their castly castles, yeah. we are called podcastles after all. Yeah, we're not called pod hill forts. <laughs> it's a good name. I like it. I like it. it doesn't off. quite roll off the tongue in the same way, but... So the next castle is Sherborne. And there's actually, there were kind of, there were two castles here. So one's actually a ruin. Okay. And it's 12th century. And it was ruined in the English Civil War. Oh. Because when else? Have we got some slighting again? We have got some slighting, I think. It's really interesting, actually, to see some of these castles have very similar histories. Like... The fact that we've had quite a few castles now that have become ruinous during the Civil War, that's really interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. So so Sherborne Castle, up until it was destroyed, mm. was the 12th century castle. But when it was destroyed, the second castle is built on the lands of the first one. Oh. It's actually built in the old castle's deer park okay. by some bishops who wanted to watch hunting. Okay. They had to, they had to send some uh, relocation notes to the deer yeah it was actually relocation 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 that wonderful show on 
can't remember what channel here. So, so Sherborne Castle, the old castle, was actually the home of the Bishop of Salisbury okay. for half its life, which is why it's not strange when I say that the bishops built the castle. Okay. So, yeah, Bishop of Salisbury is quite a big role. And so the Southwest Gatehouse would have been built by one of the bishops of Salisbury, Roger of Cain. He was actually Henry I's Chancellor. Yeah. And now I'm completely botching his name. But he's, you know, quite an interesting guy. And there's a little bit of history to go with the old castle. For example, in the um, 1140s, Robert, Earl of Gloucester, captured it for Matilda. Okay. In the anarchy. So it's had some anarchy battle. It's had some civil war battle. The castle and grounds were bought by Walter Riley. Oh. In the 1590s, in, in 1592. And we've spoken about Walter Riley before, haven't we, Georgia? We have indeed, yeah. One of Elizabeth's key people. The favourite of Elizabeth I, and he was he was imprisoned by Elizabeth I for marrying one of her ladies' maids. Yeah, Elizabeth Throckmorton. Yeah, and then he was imprisoned in 1603, suggested that he was part of the, the conspiracy to take down James I yeah. when he arrived. And that's actually when he forfeited the castle. Oh, interesting. Okay. So Walter Riley uh, renovated the castle a bit. He It was originally the castle that's built on the old Deers Park is, is more of a hunting lodge. It's referred to as a hunting lodge right. quite a lot in the reading that I've done. But he really makes it more of a castle. So okay. he builds on the hexagonal turrets. He puts little heraldic beasts on the turrets because, you know. Nice. You can't have a castle without them. No. I really like a heraldic beast. Yeah, we'll put some on your house if you want. Oh, great. <laughs> I'm not sure how everybody else who lives in this building would feel, but if we could coat it in medieval coats of arms, I think that would be hilarious. I think that would be a definite improvement. If you can if you can get up here, you can do it, to be fair, Georgia. So, you know, he, he has to give the castle back. And then in 1617, it then passes into the hands of Sir John Digby. And he makes additions to the castle, which is like, it's it's now in, in an H shape, which is his additions gave it that shape that we see today. And they were royalists during the English Civil War. Okay. Didn't go great for the royalists, did it? As we've discovered before. No. So there were two sieges on the old castle. And in the second siege of 1645, that's when that castle is destroyed. Okay. And that's when they make the lodge Sherborne Castle. Right, I see what you mean. I was a little bit confused earlier. So because Sherborne Castle was destroyed, they just claim that the lodge is Sherborne Castle and keep going with that instead. Well, you're like, oh, my castle's been destroyed. Don't know what to do. At least I've got a backup. (laughs) I've got a backup in the garden. It's fine. Here's one I made earlier. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, you can't fool me. So... (laughs) So then, Georgia, we're going to move forward a few years mm. to the Glorious Revolution okay. of 1688. And so the Glorious Revolution, as some context for people, I think we've discussed it a little bit before, Georgia. This was when William and Mary came across and declared themselves king and queen. Yeah. Mary was the daughter of James II, and James II was the king at this time in England in sixteen mm. in the 1680s. And he was actually a Catholic, which no one liked. Yeah. And people are worried about... There's a, there's a lot of hatred towards Catholicism during this whole period, but 
they're particularly worried that there's going to be a new Catholic dynasty, especially when James seems to have a son. Yeah. His daughter's a Protestant. So Mary married William of Orange and a bunch of nobles and a, and a bishop, I think. They, they ask William and Mary. They invite them to invade, basically. Yeah, it's interesting. And this is one of those things where it really stands true, the phrase that history is written by the victors, because we call this a glorious revolution, not an invasion, which is basically what happened. But we claim it was just a revolution. Yeah, I mean, there was there was a, a small group of people that invited them over and they did have support. But we call it, yeah, it's a glorious revolution, I guess, partly because it was almost bloodless, I think. This glorious revolution happens and they're invited to invade, but it's actually at Sherborne Castle that William of Orange kind of declares himself king or issues the proclamation to be king. Wow, okay. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. I guess it stays royalist the whole time, but... That's quite big. Yeah, it's huge. I'd love to know um, why they were staying there, but I I I couldn't find that out. So uh, the other thing to say about about the 18th century with with this castle is that the landscaping is apparently fabulous. So the poet Alexander Pope, he describes the park and they so this was dated in the article I was reading to sort of the the early 1720s. In quote he said crowned with very high woods on all the tops of the hills which form a great amphitheater sloping down to the house. Mm, sounds nice. Which is beautiful. Yeah, it sounds like a beautiful place to live. Okay, so after the Glorious Revolution, yeah. where did we go? What do we know about the castle after that? So in 1789, George III visits with his okay. wife. And so George III is Mad King George. Okay. And people will probably know Mad King George from Hamilton fame. Yes, which I have yet to see. We were meant to see it in May. And obviously it has now been, it's been rebooked for May next year well this year now uh fingers crossed we'll see what happens one day i will see hamilton and i really want to go and watch it in the theater so that i can watch the one that's on disney plus yeah. with the original cast i'm refusing to watch the one on disney until i've seen it in person and it is really testing my restraint yeah it's uh so george the third of the war of independence and all that jazz uh goes to visit Sherborne Castle with his wife. Yeah, so, and then during this century as well, the family update the castle a bit, apparently. So they've got, it's a little bit more Georgian. Mm. And and then you really have to skip forward. There's not there's not so much big history in between. Okay. But in, in the World Wars, it plays a small role. So it's a hospital for wounded soldiers in the First World War. And then there are some commandos stationed there in the Second World War. Mm. And then after that, it's... Uh, it's pretty quiet until the later part of the the 20th century when the public it gets opened up for the public. Oh, okay. So that's really the the main history of of the castle. I I think it's quite interesting that there's some stuff from the World War because yeah, uh, it's really interesting to see how castles and and houses like these ones were able to contribute mm. to the war effort. Well, we're definitely planning to do that in the future, aren't we? Yeah, it would be really good. But that really takes us to the end of that castle, and then we have to move on okay fascinating let's move on to Lulworth Castle so the final castle for this episode at Lulworth so it's built between 1608 and 10 by Thomas Howard oh 
Yes. So Thomas Howard was actually the grandson of the third Duke of Norfolk, who I think you're quite familiar with, Georgia. Yeah, the uncle of Catherine Howard. And Anne Boleyn. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, they're related. So, wow, he was related to both the wives that got beheaded. Yes. That's a link to have. He was a bit of a schemer, and I suspect he's not just a link, but he might be a common denominator. Well, that's what I was sort of implying, yes. Um, He definitely sort of pushed Catherine, in particular, under Henry's nose. Okay, so that's interesting, but obviously, as you say, grandson, not the same not the same Howard. Not the same Howard. And then it's bought by a man called Humphrey Weld in 1641. And obviously then there's the Civil War and the castle has to have a bit of a, a refit after that. But the Weld family still own it. Oh, yeah. So they're still living there today, I think. Um, Imagine living in a castle. I'd love to do that. So there's not there's not much to say about this one. There's There was a fire in 1929, which destroyed the insides and then... The repairs were started in the 70s with English Heritage. So thanks to English Heritage. Right. I can tell you a little bit about the history of, of the castle in between, but there's there's not a much. There's just some little facts about it. Okay. So apparently um, this castle is only one of five that had this specific design from the Elizabethan slash Jacobean period. Really? Yeah, it's really a kind of hunting lodge style thing, which when you look at it, I think, to be honest, if that's a hunting lodge... I'd take that. Mm. It's be- honestly, it's beautiful. Interestingly, the worlds were apparently recusants. Oh. That makes sense to me because the Howards and uh, Norfolk and everything like that, they were all Catholic. They were all Catholic, weren't they? And they when when he would when they got Catherine Howard in, in sort of air quote power, because it wasn't really power, but it became a slightly more Catholic. Yeah, it, it took a little bit of a turn back, yeah. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, I think we've talked about it before, but recusants are Catholics during the Elizabethan period and a bit later who refused to go to church, which became under Elizabeth became increasingly illegal, basically. They didn't want to go and show their support at a Protestant church, so they would refuse to go and they would recuse themselves from church. I was reading um, a book that you gave me. You, you lent me, Georgia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm glad you remember that I lent it to you. <laughs> One day I would like it back. Yeah. I, to be fair, it would have come back to you if it wasn't for the fact that I can't see you. So. Sure. Sure it would. Of course it would. Yeah. Promise. And it was talking about how people would stuff things in their ears. Yeah. And as little rebellions of their own in a Protestant church, they would keep their hats on. Yeah. There are loads of stories like that. I mean, it's just such a great period. I love studying the Catholics during Elizabethan period. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's really interesting. And so, yeah, apparently they're recusants. And the chapel that was built on site in the 1700s is actually Roman Catholic. Wow, okay. But the estate is 20 square miles. So they've got a lot of land. Yeah, just a bit. Their land includes Durdle Door, which is a really beautiful natural archway in the rock in Dorset, obviously. And, uh, and and they've got Lulworth Cove as well, which is a, a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Wow. And it is stunning. Okay. And it was actually created at the end of the last Ice Age, apparently. Amazing. But that really takes us to the end of the history of these castles. Interesting. I mean, it's going to be an odd one this week for influence and importance because they're in categories that we've never really discussed before, so it's going to be hard to compare. But before we get on to influence... 
and importance. We, of course, have a little bit of ghosts and skeletons to do, don't we? Not quite as much as normal. No, we've literally got a skeleton for this one. Well, I mean, besides all the skeletons discovered at the cemetery in at Maiden Castle. This one is the skeleton's representative. So... Okay. So I found a really interesting article whilst I was I was researching Maiden Castle about um, a specific skeleton called the Q1 skeleton, which is in a museum, but it was they were doing a forensic analysis on it to find out why he died. And the skeleton um, is from a person who is supposedly 25 to 35 years old, five foot four. That's my height. Yeah. They were smaller back then. Yeah. Oi! <laughs> <laughs> uh, he died and died with having his sort of head and arms chopped off. Oh. So, yeah. Okay. So the thing that they find really interesting is that the way the cuts are made, it looks like it would have been a, a quite a sharp, flat weapon. But because they believe it was Neolithic, they don't, they, they, it would presumably have to have been stone. They suggest that it's it's probably intentional mm. hacking at the at the body is the quote, and it would have been a sharp weapon. They were trying to work out what had happened to it and why to try and work out what had done the damage to the body. They got some meat bones and they were kind of cutting these bones and like hacking at them in the same sort of way to see what would leave the same sort of mark. So from those experiments, it has to be a metal weapon. And it has to have been a lot of force. But then there's actually a huge question because they thought that this was a Neolithic skeleton. Um, so obviously it doesn't match up. And so they did some uh, carbon dating, like radiocarbon dating, Georgia. So it seems like it was from about 635 AD. Okay, so not the period they thought. Absolutely not the Neolithic period. And I think they were kind of looking at it as a similar time to there was another body that was buried nearby. It just didn't have wounds, this other body. So then, So then they kind of turned to the the violence itself and they were like but so the skull damage would have been could have been a fatal blow they think the injuries are around the time of death but they doesn't really correlate to the kind of violence of that period it would have been a similar time to like i said this other this other body which was buried near the roman british temple and this isn't kind of this isn't really a recorded sort of execution for the anglo-saxon period they didn't have hung john and quartered or anything like that back then no, and so the writer ends by suggesting it could have been for superstitious reasons, but no one really knows. So That is the annoying thing about studying that period of history. It must be very frustrating that it's just like, we can guess, but we will never know. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that's pretty pretty tough. But I thought it was really interesting. Mm. Is like the skeleton that I found a, an article on, and I'll link to the article in the show notes. But That is a literal skeleton analysis. Yeah, and a lot of mystery around it, which I thought added... Interesting. Well, sorry if that made you feel really ill. Uh, <laughs> shall we move on to influence and importance? Yeah. So, as I was saying earlier, this is going to be really interesting because obviously we've never studied anything this far back before, so we don't really have Mm-mm. a way to compare it. Arguably, it's not worth comparing because it's completely different. I mean, you know, Neolithic period, if we start off with Maiden Castle... We're not studying a castle in the same sense. And so we can't say, well, a king lived there or nobility lived there because we've literally gone back to times before there were such thing as like nobles and, you know. So I think there's two things for Maiden Castle. One is that it started small and then it became a really important location mm. for Dorset. 
in in the Iron Age period. And the second thing is that it's really important for archaeologists. Like it's got a really good wealth of information. And I think that's something you could bring into the importance of it as well. Absolutely, yeah. So maybe less important in, I think, often I feel like the sort of route we take on importance is how important was it in like, changing or shaping English history and this is very different obviously because it wasn't you know where all the laws for the country were made but that wasn't a thing back then and so given that it was such an important area in Dorset and it clearly grew massively it clearly was very important in its time again also though we will kind of never know in terms of just we don't have enough information about the time period yeah um yeah, so maybe very, very important influence maybe on the rest of the country's history, maybe less so, because back then there wasn't much impact of one area on another area. But I also think it's, it is important for the history of the country. Like it's connecting us to a past that we don't yeah. have any access to in other ways. What I find really interesting is studying how did we suddenly all become so interconnected when, quite frankly, this would have been a little self-sufficient commune-styled thing. Well, farming came in Farming came in, in the Neolithic period. That's what the Neolithic period is, is farming starts when a bunch of Europeans come here and introduce it. It represents a really important part of our history, I suppose, whether it impacted that history... Um, we'll never know, but it represents it at least. And But then the temple's there because the Romans invaded in 43. Yeah, so it's a very good representation and a very important site for historians and archaeologists of periods that we know little about. So in that sense, very important. And I'm not even going to try and compare it to other sites because it's important in a completely different way. Um, Sherborne and Lulworth, we can compare to other castles in the same sense. Both of them... Not the oldest castles we've looked at. Both of them not really inhabited by kings and queens. Had a, I mean, got Thomas Howard's quite a big name and George III visited. George III and William of Orange visited. Yeah, so we've got some important names visiting. No one living there of super importance. Roger of Cairn. Yeah. He's, he's one of Henry I's chancellors, which is a pretty big deal. Yeah, that is a pretty big deal, but we don't see, you know... Oh, and of course, William of Orange stating his royal status there is pretty massive. So this, it's got some big things, but no, you're right. It's it's not always... It's not intrinsic to the fabric of our history, you know? It is important, but it's not sustainably important as... Warwick Castle or Windsor Castle or... Um, yeah. yeah, I was going to say Warwick Castle. Well... Let us know what you think of these castles, of course. We always love to hear your opinions. You can get in touch with us by going to podcastlespodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on social media. We're at podcastles on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. All the sources that we use in this episode will be on the blog. They will indeed. Yeah, that's just podcastles.co.uk. And next week will be a theme episode, Georgia. It will be. We're very excited. And it's our last one of the season. It is. I can't believe it. We, we've done a whole season, Nick. I know. That's, I, it's mad. Well, we will be back for season finale theme episode of Dorset. I am very much looking forward to it. I'll see you next time, Nick. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.